Hey, and welcome to the Healthy Fit Life Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Hanton. Today, we'll be talking to Philip Pipe, a certified nutrition coach, mindset specialist, and host of the Weights and Wits Podcast. We'll be discussing how to avoid body fat overshooting for sustainable fat loss. And if you're a fan of the show, please do remember to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. And leave a review if you enjoy listening. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Paul. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, thanks for coming on the show. So I'm really excited to talk about this. Uh, I think it's something that uh, a lot of people can learn more about. So uh, in the intro, I mentioned body fat overshooting for sustainable fat loss. So I think it's a really good place to start. What is body fat overshooting? Yeah, body fat overshooting is a concept that I think if if more people really understood it, um, it, it's probably the crux of many of the issues people have getting results. And I think the, co- the term was coined by Lane Norton um, in Fat Loss Forever years ago, and it's been used many times. But in a nutshell, it's the idea that every time we diet, we lose fat, but we also lose some muscle. Right. And there are, there are a bunch of side effects that come along with that that we can get into detail on that then cause us to want to eat eat the weight right back and then some and overshoot the original body fat level uh, that we had. And there's a sobering statistic that at least one third and up to two thirds of people regain the weight they lose within a year and up to 95% will regain that within five years. Wow. Yeah. yeah that's, that's crazy. That's uh, kind of puts it in perspective, right? If, if you have some sort of goal, especially when it comes to fat loss, uh, you know, it's like it's one get thirty three percent chance of gaining it back within a year, and then vast majority of people sound like they gain it back within five years. Yeah, it's it's and it and it actually is even more insidious than that, right? Because we're going to get into the body composition outcome of all of this. It's not right. just about weight; it's it's really about fat and body composition and overall health. Yeah, and you, it, you that's a good segue. Uh, so. A lot of people use weight loss, fat loss interchangeably, um, and you know I'm, I'm, I think I'm being guilty of that myself a handful of times. Sometimes it's easier just to generalize weight loss. But what is the difference between fat loss and weight loss? Yeah, I think the the fitness industry and the way we've sold results over the years has always focused on weight loss because right. nobody comes to you saying, I need to gain more weight, right? right. It's right. <laughs> something has happened over my lifetime. The older I get, the worse I feel. I look in the mirror and every time I lose weight, I think I'm going to be happy and yet something's not right. My mood's worse over time, my energy, my... Um, overall health, my blood markers, my strength, et cetera. And it just accelerates over time. And what we fail to realize is that there are very negative effects as being a human being over time. If we don't give us ourselves the right stimulus, the right right stimulus in terms of details we'll get into, but things like training and protein. And so our bodies think, okay, I don't really need the muscle. You're not feeding me enough protein. I'm getting older. I'm sitting around all day, probably working from home now. Mm -hmm. And I, I just don't need this. So you start to lose the, the muscle and you start to get weaker over time. And when we talk in uh, the language of weight loss, yeah, it sells. Uh, and and right. a lot of people know what you're talking about. But when I work with clients, it's it's how do we change our lifestyle, our habits, our skills and behaviors so that we can improve our body composition mm-hmm. and then gain 
all the health benefits that come with that from increased strength to avoiding disease to just just greater vitality and um, you know healthy living right so uh, I agree that the the fitness industry uh, sells weight loss and but most people they what they want is fat loss right they 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 especially for men they want to uh, you know, go to the body recomposition route where they they are dropping fat but they still retain some sort of muscle mass. But I agree that I think the, the fitness industry is really oversold weight loss, and that's what you see everywhere when people what people really want is fat loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do also want to talk about body composition. So maybe you can describe what is body composition to to maybe the general audience. What does that mean? What does that look like? Body composition. Sure. I mean, in simplest terms, our body is made up of tissue, fat, organs, muscle, bones. And uh, the simplest way to describe body composition is how much of that is fat. Mm-hmm. So what is your body fat percentage? And for, you know, there's a there's an essential level of fat we need to survive. So if you look at bodybuilders who are stage lean, men can get down to three or 4%. Below that, you would just right. die, right? That, that's right. an insane level of um, <laughs> leanness. And for women, it's 10% higher than that, roughly about 12%. And, and then there's a level of essential fat you need on top of that for health, right? It protects your organs. Um, uh, it's good for your hormones. And we need to have somewhere for men, it would be somewhere between 10 and 20% body fat. And for women, it's going to be 20 to 30%. So that's what we mean by body composition. And most people, if they don't do anything about it, will slowly slide higher and higher, you know, for men into the 20s and 30s uh, right, percentages right. <laughs> as they get older. Yep. Yeah. And I, I think... I, I know one of the uh, a big myth, maybe back, maybe it's gone better now. I think it's gone better now of how you know fat is bad, right? But like you like you mentioned, we our body actually needs some sort of some some level of fat to to just survive, right? Not not excel, but just to survive. And I think I think we've moved maybe hopefully we've moved past that in the industry. But um, I know for me that was one of the myths I held. For a long time, that fat is bad. Fat is bad, and mm-hmm. but really, we we our body needs a certain level of fat just to survive. Yeah, and I think like especially when I have female clients who they just want to lose weight right away. Right. We talk about body composition. It's it's like um, even if you focus on losing weight and think that's going to get you to your level of leanness, a lot of what you're losing is not fat. It's also right. muscle, and that's right. part of the problem. Right. Right. And so let's talk about body recomposition. Uh, so that's another uh, word uh, you mentioned. So what so we talked about uh, body composition, which is you know like the fat percentage of fat that you have. But what is body recomposition? So if someone said, hey, I want to, uh, you know, decrease fat, but keep my keep the lean muscle mass that I have. But what does body recomposition mean? Sure. And, and I, I guess I would split into two definitions. One is what people go after that's like the holy grail of right. <laughs> building muscle and losing fat at the same right. time right. which is po- it's possible in a few cases it's possible if you're very overweight because you mm-hmm. have a significant fat reserve you're effectively right. even when you're in a deficit it's almost like you're in a slight surplus um, right. <laughs> initially because you have the extra fat right and then in brand new lifters who've never lifted before because they get such a huge stimulus to build muscle that even if they diet slightly or are at maintenance, that they can recomp. So mm-hmm. that's that's recomposition. Um, but we could also think of it in terms of just over time changing our body composition. Mm-hmm. And 
we can't focus on just one half of the equation. We can't just focus on losing. Right. Uh, yes. When I, when I have to um, get a new client and convince them that, you know, if they want to lose 30 pounds, at some point we want to build muscle, mm-hmm. we generally still start with a fat loss phase after, right. after we go through a pre-diet maintenance and mm-hmm. prep phase, of course. Um, but then once they get there, once they realize uh, the importance of muscle, then we turn it around and we say, okay, now let's focus on building muscle, which mm-hmm. very few people do. Right. And, and when they do it, they often don't do it for long enough. They'll do it for three months, say, oh, I'm starting to get fat. And then they want to cut right. And my general recommendation is to build for at least six to nine months if you've never done it before, because that's where all the wonderful new gains are going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those newbie gains, uh, those very popular newbie gains. Uh, so you mentioned uh, you like you recommend people do the six to nine months of just strength training, uh, especially if they're new. And I think that's really a really important consideration, especially if you're starting out and you're brand new, because those newbie gains are very real. And so the, what you're saying is the longer you can prolong that, the more, the longer you get those benefits from being that newer lifter, right? Yeah, that's it. There's, there's some sort of threshold where like the anabolic threshold, whatever you want to call it after a few months where it starts to kick in, your metabolism really starts to yep. ramp up. And especially for a new lift, a brand new lifter is going to have um, what they call neuromuscular adaptation, right? For the first yep. three months or so, when you're doing a novice program, you have this inherent level of strength that your body is capable of, but you're not quite expressing it until you start getting under a heavy barbell for a while. And so you start to recruit more and more of those muscle fibers and develop into your maximal strength. And then you start to develop new and bigger muscle tissue at that point. So there's like this threshold where it starts and then it starts to take off. So if you don't let it go long enough, you're not going to, you're not going to see that. It's going to be very inefficient for years. Right. And then after that, after those new beginnings, that's when the, the real work starts, right? The fun stuff, yeah, right? Exactly. Uh, <laughs> just trying to, just trying to make any little bit of progress, but yeah. So let's jump into, um, what happens when your body, when you actually start to lose weight or fat. So what is, what, what are some sort of, uh, adaptations that your body goes through when you start to decrease weight or fat? Yeah. And, and I like the way you put that as adaptations. Cause I think people have to understand that, the body is very dynamic. Um, it yes. does adapt to whatever you do to it, but it never breaks. It never like totally, you know, falls apart. We, I've heard the term broken metabolism again. It's a, it's a sales tactic in my opinion. Say, well, your metabolism is broken and needs to be fixed. Really? No, it's downregulated. So what happens when you're dieting? Let's talk about the average person who isn't doing the things we're going to talk about a little bit later, sure. who's maybe sedentary with a standard diet and they use a typical restrictive diet either cutting calories and or cutting food or food groups, you know, right. something like keto or all the fat. I've, I've done them all myself. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so you're doing that. Um, and what happens is you start to lose weight pretty quickly initially and your metabolism will start to decline right away. Your, your daily energy expenditure. So the amount of calories you burn. Right. So one of the first plateaus people get to is, Hey, I'm, I'm eating on so few calories and yet I'm not losing weight. I can't lose weight. When in reality, it's you're probably losing weight way too quickly and your mm-hmm. metabolism is keeping up with that. And now you need to cut further because you're not doing the other things that we do to try to diet on more calories. Right, right. Um, there's a lot of hormonal changes, right? Your, your thyroid de- hormone decreases, that affects your metabolism. Cortisol goes up, that's stress. Mm-hmm. Leptin and ghrelin, which regulate uh, fat cells as well as appetite. Yep. change. So what happens is as you're losing weight quickly 
and you're not training and you're losing muscle, <laughs> all these things create a vicious cycle where you experience number one, muscle loss induced appetite. Mm-hmm. Number two, hormone induced appetite. And then, um, and then when you, you, you get to the bottom of that diet, you're so ravenous Mm-hmm. And you've been restricting so much that you just now want to binge on high, high carb, high salt, high sugar type right. foods right. or high fat foods that nature is telling you would be the best thing to bring into your body right. <laughs> to, to get back to good health. Right. Uh, and, 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 and that's what basically accelerates the desire to binge back what causes you to overeat and body fat overshoot. Mm-hmm. And then on the way up, when you regain that weight, here's what people have to understand. All that muscle you lost, which could be up to half the tissue, right? So let's say you lost 20 pounds, maybe 10 pounds of that is muscle. If you regain that 20 pounds back, most of that is fat. Fat, yeah. So yeah. every time you're cycling up and down and up and down, you end up at the same weight, but fatter and fatter. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's something, what you what you mentioned initially about the when people would generally just decrease their calories to an unhealthy amount, Uh which which makes sense, right? Because we, we talk about being a caloric deficit. And so you think, well, okay, well, I'm just going to keep decreasing my calories until I – but then you, then you have to ask yourself, okay, at like what point are you going to stop, right? Because 500 calories a day, you know, 100, right? Like, mm-hmm. It doesn't really the, – the logic doesn't really make sense when you start to really think through, okay, yeah, you need to be a caloric deficit, but how, how far can you go? And, and I think people sometimes go too far. And they kind of hit that plateau, then they can't. They realize they can't go any further, and they kind of get stuck. Yeah, exactly. And 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 so that's that's why I think it's very important to spend some time bringing up your maintenance calories to a higher level that you, where you can diet on a higher level. Now you can't right. just magically do that. There's there's two pieces that I think make the biggest impact based on what I've seen, based on what the evidence supports. One is going to be training you know, uh, strength training where not, not the training itself, which does burn some calories. It's the adding muscle mass. Again, talking about body composition that increases your base level of metabolic rate and because muscle is more expensive than, than fat. And then the other is activity, but here's where people go off the rails again, because a lot of people think of activity as cardio, like tons of, of cardio hours and hours on a treadmill. When in reality, we just need to move and generally that's steps. So it, it, you know, I usually tell people step count because if you look at our ancestors, right, they had to move all day. They had to expend right. energy all day. Right. We don't do that today, but as little as an extra two or 4,000 steps a day could probably up your calorie burn by several hundred calories every day. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you touched on uh, a one, one big misconception or um, mistake that people make when it comes to trying to uh, lose lose weight or lose fat is uh, relying over relying on cardio or only focusing on mm-hmm. cardio or or thinking that that's the only way that's the best way or the only way to lose weight and fat so how do you help people uh, kind of understand that uh, you know cardio has a lot of benefits for you but when it comes to weight loss fat loss uh, strength training is just gonna be better for you uh, yeah it's, I mean it's hard it's hard to convince people who do the Pilates and the orange theory and the CrossFit. And they're just so into all of these things. And that's where you have to develop a a relationship of trust and, and basically 
have them try, you know, a, a, an effective training program and understand what that's all about. And that we have goals. We have a, we have a goal and our goal requires us to prioritize certain things and we can't right. do everything. If you want right. to be a world-class tennis player or marathon runner, fine. We're going to have to focus on that. Right. If right. you're trying to improve your body composition, then, then strength is where it's at. And right. too much cardio is going to interfere with the recovery from that lifting. Mm-hmm. which then interferes with the adaptation from the lifting. And that's how we build muscle. Um, it also can um, send our bodies an endurance signal that, hey, where it kind of conflicts with the strength training signal. And it, mm-hmm. it, it basically tells our body, try to be more efficient with calories because I see you really need them. You're moving a lot every day. Be efficient and thus bring down your metabolism. Right. right. <laughs> so, so what a lot of people find is that they start, they go from hours and hours of cardio to three days a week in the gym for an hour, and all of a sudden the metabolism starts to go up. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And then we, uh, another another common mistake uh, that you mentioned already, but I want to talk a little more about is uh, the extreme restriction around um, what you're eating or even caloric intake. And I think the fitness industry pushes that a lot, right, because it sells well. Uh, so when it comes to those extreme rest- like restrictive diets or uh, people dropping their calories to unhealthy amount of le- uh, levels. Uh, how do you help people kind of overcome that? Yeah, I think a lot of people that are seeking help with their nutrition have have tried these diets, mm-hmm. and the answer, you know, when I ask them, um, "Did it work for you?" The answer is always, "For a time, like it worked right. for a time." Well, why did it stop working? Well. I can't not eat carbs for the rest of my life right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or I can't, you know, whatever, whatever restriction it is, you know, if it's carnivore, I can't just not eat vegetables for the rest right, of my life. Right. Maybe some people can, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, but it, it comes down to sustainability, right? And yeah, maybe it's a buzzword. Maybe we throw it around a lot, but how do you solve both sides of the equation? One is trying to lose weight and maintain a healthy body composition. And the other is eating things I enjoy for the rest of my life. Right. And a lot of people think those two aren't compatible. They think of dieting as an on-off switch. Okay, now I'm in dieting mode, so I'm going to start right. cutting everything out. Okay, <laughs> I'm done. Now what? Like, how do I sustain it? Do I just eat everything I used to not eat or that I cut out, but less of it? I don't know what to do. So um, we tend to work on from a principle of, some people call it flexible dieting, but um, I basically say if if, if it's con- consistent with your lifestyle, right? If it's food you enjoy, we try to fit them in, but we understand where it meets, where it serves you and your goals. So right. if, if donuts are a non-negotiable, okay, let's find a way to fit a donut in. And maybe it's a homemade donut, or maybe it's, you know, one versus two donuts. You know, there's right. uh, decisions we can make. And there are occasionally hard rules people need to set for themselves when things are just completely triggering for them. But I don't want you to just say, I'm not having carbs. Right, right. Yeah, and uh, that sustainability piece you mentioned really ties back into those statistics you mentioned in, in the first half, the first part of the episode about third, third, third of the pe- a third of people, uh, I think like a third of people in the first year just mm-hmm. gain it back, and then the and the ninety five percent of people gain it back within five years. And that goes back to sustainability, like you mentioned, and so I also am a big proponent of what we call flexible dieting of trying to incorporate, try not to restrict people from eating some of the foods that they, they love and they just cannot do without for a long period of time. I think people can maybe suffer through it for a month or two, but mm-hmm. 
it's really hard for people just to go without it for the rest of their lives. And that's, again, sustainability and thinking long term about how you approach your nutrition and your health. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. And then and then the other piece of that, of course, is the the macro balance, all the things that we do as part of that dieting approach that most people don't do. For example, the big thing, and we can call this a mistake or we can call it a solution, but most people don't get nearly enough protein, right? That's right. that's a huge right. one right there. Um, every client that comes in who who doesn't already have a good solid education on this stuff is probably under eating by 50 to 75%. Yeah. <laughs> right? You say, I mean, yeah. you have a 170 pound female eating 60 or 50 grams of protein a day and she needs to be eating 140. Yeah. <laughs> and of course it, in the from week 1 it's how the heck do I do that, right? <laughs> how do I do that? And that's what we that's where the education awareness and skills come in. Yeah, yeah, you, exactly. That's another common mistake. The the macro balance um it's very easy it's very easy to to consume carbs uh especially uh in here in Texas. Um, and so, yeah, I see that all the time too, is the skewed macro balance of not enough protein, but, uh, you know, over, overeating on the carbs and, and the fat. Um, but I, I agree. I think part, a lot of, a large part of it is just education and educating people on, uh, proper nutrition habits. And I think just, uh, another key thing is just making sure people plan ahead too, as well, especially with meal prepping and, and, you know, putting together a grocery list and, and again, like the, the triggering foods that they may. Uh, that may trigger them to overeaters, you know, stuff like that. But yeah, I think this the education around proper macro balance, why protein is important goes a long way. I notice a lot of my clients. Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned some, some great tips in there, including the, the planning ahead. I mean, just yeah. in general, that's, uh, that's something people are missing. Uh, and why we often emotionally eat or overeat is we make decisions in the moment. So if you tie that into protein, for example, someone listening who's thinking, I need to go from 50 grams of protein a day to 140. Right. <laughs> uh, first of all, you have to know that you're eating 50. And the only way you know that is to log it somehow. Uh, mm-hmm. And my clients log because I think it's an educational tool. I think it's a great habit to learn about food and how much is in food and swapping foods out. But you could also do fun fun tricks or techniques like pre-logging your food for the next day right. or right. for the weekend if you're going to go to a party or event, just pre-logging and see what it looks like. Or, hey, I can't get enough protein, so how do I do that? Well, let's do the math. If you have have to get 160 grams of protein, you only eat twice a day, you right. have to slam down 80 grams a meal. That's probably not feasible, right? Unless right. you're in Texas with the barbecue, right? <laughs> hey, yeah. <laughs> but so then you do the math, say, okay, maybe I need to eat four or five times and each of those has to have 30 grams of protein. Well, how do I do that? And mm-hmm. have, do I have the groceries for that? Do I, right. Am I incorporating dairy and eggs and meat and all the things I need for that? Yeah, that's, that's a good um, – so we talked about uh, some common mistakes that people make and I think uh, it's also good to discuss what people can do better, how people, what people should be doing instead. And you brought a really good point around um, – finding out where, where they're at first. So like you mentioned, mm-hmm. if someone doesn't know how much protein they're eating, um, I, I know you can do like the intuitive eating, but I'm also a big proponent like you of, of tracking that way. You, one, education, so you understand what you're putting in your body and how much. I think another common mistake people make is that they, they under, under-assume, over-assume, under, over, over-assume, under-assume how much they're eating, right? Over-assume. 
yeah, yeah, yeah under, yeah. underestimate, yeah, underestimate, how much yeah, about yeah. To get underestimate how much they're actually eating. Yeah, for sure. And, yeah, and then when they started cracking, they go, "Oh wow, that's 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 a lot." Okay, but also as just as important as sustainability, right? And making sure that whatever your clients do is something they can sustain for a long period of time. Because uh, if you look at health as a as a lifelong pursuit or endeavor, whatever you do is going to have to be sustainable. Because uh, I, I I know I've seen people start and stop things and they'll start for a month or two and then quit. And you know, it's because they're just trying to go from zero, zero to 100, you know, overnight with their training or their nutrition. And really you just got to look at it a, a gradual baby steps, like you mentioned, right? Just take baby steps to where you need to go or where you want to go. Yeah. I mean, it's about progress and process and that yep. gets you to result, right? Because if you can't exactly. stick to it, if it's not enjoyable, you won't get anywhere. Uh, and I like the point you made about the the deficit itself being part of sustainability, meaning besides all the food selection quality and so on, the fact that you are um, measuring, tracking, and then trying to stick to a certain glide path that is conservative, conservative enough, is part of sustainability. Because along the way now, you get time to figure out, okay, how do I eat a little bit more fiber and a little bit more uh, fruits that have more water in them to, so I don't get as hungry. You start to learn these techniques as you go on the way down. And then when you've lost all the weight and not much muscle because you're doing it right, when you come back in a surplus, you don't just go start eating Pop-Tarts and pizza. Right. You, you, you kind of you scale up the things you just learned to eat and, and, and maybe incorporate some treats along the way, but it's sustainable. Yeah, exactly. It's a lot of the same foods whether you scale up or scale down, right? It's mostly just exactly. quantity and, and the macronutrient profile. Um, but yeah, again, like sustainability and education too, like you mentioned, just educating uh, your clients or people in general on on the proper habits that they should be adopting. Uh, so I think that's a, I know that there's a lot of information out there on the, on the internet when it comes to fitness and health and who do you listen to, who do you trust? Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes I know it's hard uh, out on the outside looking in to kind of filter through the BS in terms of what you actually should be doing. But I think two things that I would stress is just make sure it's sustainable. Um, you know, you don't want to overcommit or overdo if you've never done anything like this before and then just educate yourself, right? There's a lot of resources out there to educate yourself, but education and sustainability are two key, key things that everyone should be doing if they want to make their really commit to the health for the rest of their life. Yeah, I agree. I mean, education is a huge gap and podcasts like yours, Hydro Fitness, podcasts like mine, which in a way, right? There are, I mean, that's how I learned a lot about um, nutrition is through, through podcasts. Um, and, and, and that's a big piece. And then once you have the education where people get stuck is just doing it, (laughs) applying themselves. Right. And some people, yeah, (laughs) you know, and some people have, I don't want to call it discipline or willpower. It's just, everybody's different. And some people have the wherewithal to just kind of hold themselves accountable. And many more people need extrinsic motivation to get started. But once you get started and start getting those results and developing the habits, it starts to stick. And again, the sustainability piece comes in where a habit can be developed in maybe three to six weeks and you start to stack on habits. And before long, before, you know, say three months of this process, you're really well equipped to do this for the rest of your life on your own. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the action taking action pieces is also a huge uh, challenge uh, for for a lot of people. And mm-hmm. yeah, education is important, but you also have to take action to incorporate that education or do something. Um, if you don't, you, know, you want to improve your health or, or lose weight or lose fat. 
Um, so I think that's a really great point is to, to not forget to take action. Right. And some people need help. Some people need you mm-hmm. know, trainers like us to help them out with that. Um, some people just rely on their intrinsic motivations. Some people need, uh, you know, extrinsic motivation, their spouse or their kids. Right. So yep, yeah, sure. I think that taking action piece is really, really crucial. So, uh, before we wrap up this episode, I think it's been really, a really great discussion and a lot of great points. Uh, we, we talked, talk through, um, what are some last minute takeaways or big things you want people to get out of this, uh, if they're listening? Yeah, there's a lot of takeaways here. Yeah, there's a lot of takeaways. I think uh, the big takeaway is the the thing about weight loss that there's there's a different way to think about this that we don't have to struggle for the rest of our lives thinking that it's a constant battle of dieting and gaining weight that we can take control of our not only our physique, which I know a lot of people get into this because they just want to look better in the mirror, right. but our health. And I think that that cannot be overstated is that if you're worried about diabetes or heart disease or fertility mm-hmm. or some, you know, frailty in old age, right. at, um, at any age, you can start to turn that ship around. You can you can avoid what 95% of people experience with sarcopenia, osteopenia, all these um, disease diseases of aging, and take control of your vitality by telling your body, hey, you've got to be stronger and more capable in this physical world that humans evolved in by get by, you know, strength training, protein, and the other things that we talked about. Right. Yeah, I think I think it's a really great um, uh, point to end the episode on is uh, when you look at health over the rest of your life, like one, it's not too late to start. Uh, you know, let's say you, you you work training and then you stop and you're kind of wondering if when to get back on the bandwagon. Well, you know, start tomorrow or start you know start today, right? There's you can start at any point in time when it comes to the rest of your life for your health. And I think the other thing is to like again, I just want to keep reiterating sustainability. Uh, if you start something. But then you, you're, you're only going to last for two months. Well, that's not really going to help you out. Mm-hmm. So whatever someone decides to do, and I'm a big proponent of, of strength training, but you know, some people don't like it. Some people don't want to sure. do that. Some people rather go ride their bike or run, which I don't like. So you know, props to them. But <laughs> whatever someone does, they, it needs to be sustainable, and they need to have some sort of enjoyment behind it. Otherwise, we'll just quit. So uh, again, I just want to reiterate how important sustainability is. Yeah, I agree. Fun, balance, all of those things, you know, (laughs) you don't want to be crazy, the crazy weirdo who is just ostracizing their family and friends. (laughs) Just, you know, live your life and enjoy. I agree. Those are, those are great words to live by. Yep. And I think that's a great, really great ending point. So Philip, thanks again for coming on the show. I really got a pleasure talking to you. And uh, I think there's some really, really, really great takeaways that people are going to get from this episode. Thank you, Paul. I uh, also enjoyed the conversation. It was a ton of fun. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, anytime. So that wraps up today's episode. Uh, thank you very much for listening and make sure to check out Philip on the social media links that I'll include in the podcast notes. Uh, if you're a fan of this show, please do remember to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes and leave a review if you enjoyed listening. Until next episode, take care of yourselves and remember the best project you'll ever work on is you.